All right, um, as you know, we've been doing a series called uh, Other 316, and the reason we're doing that is because John 316 is one of those scriptures that is uh, everywhere you go, and, and I actually have had several people come up to me and, and say, you know, I've, I've seen the words John and the numbers 316 in numerous places, but I did not know that that was a, a scripture uh, in the Bible, and so it is. It's a scripture in the Bible, and in fact, it's a, a very, very popular scripture in the Bible, and the reason we use it so much is because it's so much of the gospel just kind of summed up into one scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And it's a fantastic scripture, and it's something that we, of course, uh, want to share and promote. And so the very first week of this series, we talked about John three sixteen, and we really um, dissected uh, uh, that scripture. And last week, uh, we went to Malachi 3.16, and this is why it's called Other 3.16. It's because we're going to talk about some other ones uh, that are in the scripture as well. And so Malachi is in the Old Testament, and it talks about fearing the Lord. And, and of course, you know, those who fear the Lord uh, will be saved. And it talks about those things so much there. And so we talked about what it means to fear the Lord, and that was Malachi 3.16. This week, we're going to be in 1 John 3.16, and we're going to read 3.16, 17, and 18, I believe. So if you have your Bibles... Uh, you can open there with me, and, and we can kind of follow those things together. If you don't have your Bible, of course, they're going to have them uh, up on the screen. Something to be said about uh, the Scriptures is, is we, we, we do everything we do here at the church based on what we believe the Scripture tells us. And so we try to talk specifically about the Word of God. And so when they throw these up on the screen, and those things are down at the bottom, 1 John three sixteen through 18, uh, when those show up, those are directly from the Bible. Now, oftentimes, I won't say turn to your Bible here, but you'll see it on the screen. And if you see it on the screen and you see, you know, the, the reference down at the bottom, just know that that is kind of from the Scripture. And I encourage you to write that reference down and to read it throughout the week so you can kind of uh, see things for yourself. Because we want your faith to be built on God and His Word and not built on us. And so, you know, when we say things, we want you to go and test it because that's what the Bible tells us to do. You know, my job up here, and of course all of our jobs here at the church, is to encourage and spur one another on in love and good works. And so what are we trying to do? We're trying to spur you. We're trying to encourage you. And there are things that you might hear that you don't necessarily agree with. You're wrong, but it's okay to... Yeah. Thank you, Eli. Eli, I thought that was funny. No, it's, it's, it's okay at times to disagree, but what I would encourage you to do is go and find it in the Scripture. Go and look at it in the Scripture. Test those things. Test your feelings. Test your thoughts. Test your ideas against the Word of God and come to a church where we read the Word of God and you're challenged in that. That's what I encourage you to do. And so I want you to bring your, if you have your Bibles, bring them, read them, pay attention to them, uh, because that's what we believe, and that's very, very important to us. So today we're going to be in John, 1 John 3, 16 through 18. And I want to read through this scripture first, and then we're going to talk about it kind of a little bit piece by piece. But this is a powerful section of scripture. John 3, 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Woo! I mean, I don't even have to say much else after that, right? Because that's some powerful stuff right there. But there's so much, there is, I mean, there's so much 
to unpack in this uh, scripture. I, honestly, I hope I can kind of do it here uh, in this amount of time. But once again, I encourage you to read and study on your own and take that time to grow. You know, it's like coming to church is like coming to a buffet, right? You get all these things that are there. The worship is fantastic. You get to encourage and, and talk to other believers, which is something we find in the scripture as well. You get to hear teaching and those types of things, and it's powerful. But you know, when you go to the buffet on Saturday afternoon and you stuff your face, you are full for 24 hours. But after that, you got to eat again, don't you? If you don't eat again, you die. And so I encourage you, to continue to feed yourself because church is like a buffet. Yes, you get filled up, but man, you got to continue to feed yourself the good, healthy foods so that you can be a healthy individual. But as we see here in this scripture, it starts off with this. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. And I think this is very, very powerful that we see this. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is. And 1 John talks about love a whole lot, and it's very, very powerful. But in Romans 5, 6 through 8, which is another scripture that we've read before many times, very, very powerful, says that God demonstrates, well, let's start in 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I think that word is very, very important for the ungodly. In verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I think this is, this is really interesting, right? Because we oftentimes have a hard time sacrificing, and, and Morvan talked about sacrifice, and I think that's important, but we have a hard time sacrificing for people that are our equals. One, we were ungodly. Two, we are human beings. We are like God here, human beings here, right? Now, I know in our culture, we have reversed that some and tried to elevate ourselves to be the God of our own lives, but we are a very, very small part of God's great big story. God is here, and we are here. And, and, and it's so unbelievable in my mind that God would look at a group of people that are not his equals and are ungodly and send his son Jesus to die for us. Like, that's just flabbergasting. Because when we look at it, it's like, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There are people in my life that I would not hesitate, at least I believe that, that I would not hesitate to die for. You know, when I held Malachi, my oldest son, in my arms for the very first time, it never, ever would have, like, I mean, as, as soon as I held him, I was like, I would die for that kid. I would die for that kid. Even when he drives me nuts, I would die for that kid. I would. And I have four others, and I would die for them as well. There are those people in your life. But there are people in your life that are just, I mean, they're out there. They're mean. They're, they're unkind. And I think, would I die for them? That's a hard question. That's a hard answer. But Jesus did. Amen. Who was God. Man. He, he died for those that weren't not just ungodly, but unworthy. I mean, they weren't worthy. We aren't worthy. We are sinners. We're not worthy. And the Bible tells us that. And he died for us. And so this is how we know what love is. It's like love is this incredible sacrifice where it's like, you know what? They don't deserve it, 
but I'm going to do it anyways. And it's not to get anything in return because they can't pay me back. Did you know I can't pay God back for the sacrifice he gave me? I can't. I can't. I'm going to strive to, but I can't. I, I, I am a failed, you know, screwed up human being at times. And, 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 I, and as much as I would want to be worthy, I am unworthy. But he still died for us. Amen. And I think that about our lives, you know. We have the opportunity so often to sacrifice. And I want us to be those people that sacrifice. God gave his life for the ungodly. We tend to only sacrifice for those that we think are worthy. And God died for those who weren't just worthy, but they were ungodly. I mean, they were unworthy and ungodly. I mean, they weren't even looking for God, and, and he died for them. And that's amazing to me. He goes on and sets this up then in, in John 3.16 as well, 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What a challenge, right? We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, these are, these are our equals. In God's eyes, these are, the, these are people right next to us. In our eyes, they're not because we have become so self-absorbed, and I don't have to tell you that because we know it, right? That there are so many people out there that we would not sacrifice for. Why? Because in our minds, they don't deserve it. They don't. They don't deserve it. Regardless, and, and, and you might have good reasons, but you know, God had good reasons to just wipe us out, right? To send us all to hell. But while we were still sinners, he died for us. And he demonstrated his love by doing that. You guys know that you're going to have people that are unworthy that knock on your door, that you believe don't deserve your love, that don't deserve whatever you have to offer. And I want you to follow Christ's example. I want you to remember that while you were unworthy, while you were ungodly, Christ died for you. Amen. And that in that, I'm going to turn over and I'm going to sacrifice for others. You see, I think it's so important for us to get this right, that we sacrifice because he first sacrificed, that we lean into his love and that we are filled up with his love. And when we're filled up with his love, then out of the overflow, we pour out that love onto others. And you will have so many people in your life that you will feel are unworthy of love. And I encourage you, follow Jesus' example. Put yourself down and learn to love those even if you believe they are unworthy and don't deserve it. We were unworthy and didn't deserve it. John 13, 15 through 17 talks about Jesus who served his, his disciples. Jesus, at this, at this moment, he got down on his hands and knees. Jesus who is God, and he washed his disciples' feet. And they were even appalled by this. They were like, no, you can't wash our feet. But he did this. He served them. He sacrificed and put himself down into a place of humility and lifted them up. And he says this in verse 15. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, I have, I have given the example. This is what Jesus says. I have given the example. Live by my example. Follow my example. Do the things that I am doing for you. I served you. 
You go and serve one another. You go and serve each other. Take care of one another. Love one another. Be willing to sacrifice for one another. I did it for you. You do it for others. And if we can build ourselves on that foundation every day, understanding that God died for us, Jesus died for us, therefore we sacrifice to others. My dad used to always talk about acting like Jesus. And he'd say it all the time, you know, gosh, if somebody would just act like Jesus in this situation, we wouldn't be having these problems. He'd say that all the time. And it drove me nuts all the time. Because I was like, Jesus got mad at people. He drove them out of the temple. You know, that was my argument. He'd be like, if you would just act like Jesus, we wouldn't be fighting. Well, Jesus fought with some people. Anyways, but the point's the same. And I love the WWJD bracelets. I loved them. Because it's like, what would Jesus do in this situation? Because so often we're quick to judge and we're slow to sacrifice. And Jesus was willing to put up with the sinner and the problems and the issues. And people even looked at him and said, he's willing to hang out with those people? And he would tell them, yes, I am. Yes, I am willing to hang out with those people. Those that you think don't deserve it, those that you think are unworthy, I love them. Therefore, we should be challenged to do the same. Let's move on. Let's read on a little bit further here because I love this. We should lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Wow, what a, what a challenge right there. Because we're not supposed to just love by giving up our lives. We're supposed to love by living our lives. We can love with our stuff, is what he's saying right here. We can love with our stuff. If we have stuff and people are in need, we get to show love by giving up our stuff. We get to do that. And we get to demonstrate, just like Jesus did, demonstrated his love for us. We get to demonstrate our love for others by giving up our stuff, and we get to live for them. It's important because I think we have grown into a culture where we believe that stuff satisfies us, and we strive after stuff, and we have replaced, you know, God and relationships with stuff, and it just does not work out. I had the privilege of watching a really, really cool uh, TED Talk uh, this week. I actually got to watch two of them, but there's this one that was really, really interesting to me. <coughs> uh, has anybody ever heard the story about the red paperclip? Nobody. Well, good. I'm going to tell it to you. There was a guy sitting at his desk one day, and on his desk was a red paperclip. And he decides, just out of the blue, that he's going to try and play this game. He's heard about this game called Bigger and Better, and he's never played it before. If you've never played that game, we used to do this in youth group, where we would give the kids something like a Family Christian Center pen, and they would go and travel to different houses, and they would ask people if they had something that they would be willing to trade that was bigger and better for the pen. And we would get to see kind of what they came back with. And it was kind of a fun little game. Got kids out and an opportunity for t to talk to other people and build some relationships. Well, anyways, the story is just, and, and I encourage you to watch it. It was like 20 minutes long. That's why I didn't play it. But this guy takes this red paper clip. He ends up trading it. He puts it on Craigslist. And he just asks if he, somebody would be willing to trade something bigger or better. And somebody traded him a fish pen. So he traveled, and he met the person, shook their hands, sat down, talked with them, got pictures with them, and they traded a red paper clip for a pen that you write with that's shaped like a fish. And then he goes, and he puts that fish pen on Craigslist and said, would somebody be willing to trade something bigger and better for this? 
And it goes on and on and on. And in a, a span of, I think, a couple of years, he ends up, at times, with, he ends up with a recording contract from a major recording studio. He ends up, this is, this is a fun one, he ends up, he trades the recording contract. So he, he gets a, a year of rent from a house. He gets a duplex that he gets to live in for a year for rent-free. He trades that to a lady for a recording contract that she has. He, retrade, he trades a recording contract, I believe, for a Kiss snow globe. Yes, Kiss the band, you know, ah, Kiss the band, snow globe. Now, all of us are going, why would you trade for a Kiss snow globe? But a few months ago, he came in contact with a guy named James Corbin, who is a movie executive, and he has a snow globe collection. So he's able to trade, and he calls him up and says, hey, I have a Kiss snow globe. Here is a picture of it. And he said this is the only one he really had set up ahead of time. And the guy said, not only do I want that, I have to have that snow globe. And he goes, so what I will trade you is I will trade you a part in my next movie. So somebody gets a part in the next movie. So then he puts that on Craigslist and is ready to trade a part in a movie on Craigslist. So then he gets a call, and this is where it ends, from a city that says, you know what, here's what we want to do. We want to have a talent contest to get that part in that play. We want to have a talent contest in our city. And what we will do for you is if you will come in and trade us that part and, and help us with this talent contest, we will give you a house. And so he ends up, he ends up with a home. <laughs> and the whole time, the name of the TED Talk is How I Traded a Red Paperclip for a House. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I want to know how he traded a red paperclip for a house. <laughs> so I watched it, and it was so cool. But at the very end, and my favorite part in the whole talk that he gives after he goes through all of these trades he made, is he said, you know, it was really cool owning a house. But he said, by far, my favorite part was all of the really cool people that I got to meet and hang out with. He said, I got to travel all over the country, really, and I got to meet new people, and I got to take pictures with them, and I got to hang out with them. And he said, and I'm talking some really, really interesting people, people I would have never, ever been able to meet otherwise. And as I'm talking about, as, as he's talking about this, he, he, he really downplayed the house and was so excited about all the people he got to meet. And he was like, I'm ready to do it again because it was so much fun getting to meet people. And, and I think that is so cool because I think that's the principle that we see so often in Scripture. That, that God made us relational beings, that Adam and Eve were made relational creatures, that God looked at Adam, who he created to have a relationship with him, and said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him somebody that he can hang out with and talk with. And, and so he did, and he called her woman. And, and we have grown into this idea, you know, that relationships kind of become second fiddle or play second chair to the stuff that we have, and, and, and we think we're going to be satisfied in that, and we, we just are not. We are a culture that is so unhappy and dissatisfied because we have things out of order. And I think it's so cool that he was able to trade a red paperclip for a, for a house, but I think it's even cooler his opportunity to meet mu music producers and movie producers and all kinds of people from all different backgrounds. How neat is that? And he talks about how exciting and how fun those relationships are. And so I want to encourage you 
to not put your stuff above relationships, but use your stuff as a sign of love to demonstrate your love. Just like he says right here, if you have possessions and someone is in need, you have no pity on them. The love of God is not in you. Use your stuff to demonstrate your love. Matthew 15, 1 through 6, and I'm not going to flip there because we're running out of time, but Jesus comes in contact with the Pharisees and, and they kind of fell into this trap as well. And he talks about this tradition that they had where they were instructed, the Pharisees were, to take care of their father and their mother. But that was very expensive and costly. And so what they would do is they would um, declare that the money that was supposed to be used to take care of their father and mother as they got old, that they was God's now, that I'm, I'm giving it over to God. And then they would no longer have to take care of their father and mother. And, and when I look at that scripture, I think that, that was 2,000 years ago, and it's still something that we struggle with today, where we look at people and we look at our stuff and we say, gosh, man, they're, they're not, I mean, there's just too much sacrifice here for me to give up my stuff for those people. And Jesus calls these guys out on this and says, dude, you're screwing up. And I think we have screwed up so often as well. People are so important. They're so valuable. And relationships make life worth living, church. Relationships are valuable. And your relationship with God is the most important one. Anyways, I have to move on here. And then he goes on to say, in the next scripture, Dear children, I love that he starts that way. Because he's not talking to children here, right? We know this. He's not talking to children. So why does he start with dear children? This is almost an attack you know, and you could take it that way where he's calling them children. It's almost offensive. He's like, uh, you infants. My, my daughters actually say this to each other and, and they get really, really mad. My youngest one, they call her a fetus. Oh, you don't know this stuff because you're just a fetus, you know, saying that she's young and, and, and oh, and she gets so mad. She's like, I am not a fetus. I'm not a fetus. She gets so upset and they do it. They just push those buttons you know, and so they'll say something. She's like, what's that mean? Oh, don't worry about it. You're just a fetus, you know, and she gets mad. She gets mad. Well, that's kind of what's happening right here in this moment. He's looking at these people, and he's saying, children, kids, kids, you're acting like kids here, and I think it's interesting because kids, kids don't have the, I don't know if it's the capacity. They, they just don't, they just don't seem to love the way we do in the same way, and they will, right? I look at my children, and I know this. I know this. And I, and I look at my parents, and I think my kids don't and never will love me the way I love them. And how I know that is because of how much I love them and how when I was their age, how I looked at my parents, <laughs> right? And that sounds bad, but it's true. I mean, I remember being 16 years old and, and being Malachi's age, my oldest, and 14 years old, my, my teenage daughter's age, and looking at my parents and thinking, oh my gosh, they are just so dumb. They are so dumb. And, and I look at them, and they do it to me all the time, I tell you. I, and sometimes I do it on purpose a little bit. Where like the other day, Annabelle, my 14-year-old, was going to a first homecoming. She's a freshman. She was going to a first homecoming. And I told her that I was going to get to chaperone, that I was going to call the school, and I was going to be a chaperone to make sure, one, that um, she is safe, and two, that she's having a good time. And so in the church parking lot, I showed her all of my incredible dance moves. <laughs> all of them, you know? I pulled out the lawnmower, 
you know, and the MC Hammer and all that stuff, you know. We did a little hammer time in the parking lot out here. That's right, we did. And she was like door closed, hiding, you know, and I was like, you can't get away from this. I'm pounding on the window. What up? You know, and I was like, why wouldn't you want these dance moves at your homecoming? You lame, boring person. You're just a boring teenager. You don't know how to have a good time. Anyways, so we had a lot of fun. What? No. Chuck, come up here and do them with me. Come up here. Anyways, so we, you know, it was just, I can't dance, which is, the, which is a big part of the story, Chuck. Like, I knew I couldn't. Um, but that was just, I was just, and, and so anyways, the whole point is, is she rolls her eyes like, oh, dad. And, but, but I look at her, and I mean, I just, I cherish her so much. And I think that about, you know, like how, how we love our children and, of course, the way our kids look at us. And so when he's saying this, dear children, he's like, you guys, you guys don't have this understanding of love. You, you're acting like kids right now. And kids don't have the same capacity, the same ideas. And, and when you grow into that and when you, when you get married and commit yourself to another person, and when you have kids and you see them for the first time, those types of things, that, that, is, that is love at a, at a level, right? But then when we look at God's love, it's the same. God looks at us, and of course, we can be addressed as children because he loves at, at a level that's just like we can never level up to. We can't get to that place. And so when we see this, dear children, he's not actually talking um, about children or to children, He's addressing us like, guys, you, you're just not understanding. You're just, you're just not getting this. I have to tell a story. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to because it was, it's so fun. I get to work in the children's ministry on Wednesday nights, uh, and it's fun for me to be able to just sit down and hang out with kids. And this Wednesday night, um, we were reading the, the story, um, and I was doing that, and I had all the kids around me, and Levi, who's sitting right back there, hi, Levi, um, Levi, who was sitting, sitting right next to me, and he sneezed. And I tried to ignore it and just read on, but I wiped my beard, and I had snot in my beard. In my beard. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> right? So I tried, but then I wiped it on him, and we had a good time. But anyways, you guys know, that's what it's like when you deal with kids, isn't it? Like you just, I'm, I'm doing this time where I'm trying to like read them the scripture and I get snot on my face. And that's just kind of how it works. But uh, we had a good time. I love working with, with the kids. I love the kids so much. And we want to see them uh, really grow into the church. We had a guy here uh, Tuesday who shared with us, you know, that, that the church is, is always only one generation from extinction. Uh, and if the next generation doesn't get it, then it doesn't move on. And so... So valuable for us to get involved uh, with the kids. So I encourage you to get involved on Wednesday nights or on Sunday mornings in our in our kids and youth ministries. I encourage you to do that. Challenge yourself uh, in that area that you're going to be one of those that that uses what Jesus did, sacrifices for those that are unworthy, that might not deserve it, that can't pay you back, so that maybe you can build the kingdom ahead of them. So that's why he says, "Dear children," but then he goes on, and man, I'm really, really slow here today. This is just so, so powerful. But he says here, after he says, dear children, he says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And so when we're talking about words and speech, I, I ask that question, why? Why, why not let, love, let us not love with words and speech? Because we all know that words and speech can be 
incredible expressions of love, right? And I think it's, it's, it's not important to see this specific part of words and speech, but it's, it's the hollowness behind them, isn't it? Where if it is just words and speech, it doesn't mean anything. In fact, if we only love in words and speech, it can be more harmful than good. If you tell your kids that you're going to do something, you're going to take care of something, that you're going to be there for something, and you do not show up, that's damaging. That's damaging. It's not just, you know, kind of insignificant. It's, it's hurtful and damaging. And so when he's saying this, dear children, let us not love with words or speech. He's, he's not saying don't tell people you love them. He's saying that love that's words and speech alone not only can be insignificant, but they can be damaging. And that we have to go beyond what we say. It has to go way beyond what we say. He goes, but with action and in truth. With action. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not secret, easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. All of those things require a lot of effort, don't they? To, to protect, to trust, to hope, and to persevere, to fight through things. It just requires effort on our part. I said a few weeks ago that Love without sacrifice is meaningless. And, and I would say that, that love has to have sacrifice, and if it's just words alone, it's not love. And I think they would say that right here in the Scripture as well, that it's not love if there's nothing behind it, that we have to act on our love, or it's just insignificant. It's pointless. And so, yes, I want you to tell people you love them, but I don't want you just to tell them. I want you to act on your love. I want you to sacrifice for those around you. I want you to give up, to protect, to trust, to hope, to persevere, to not quit on people because they're unworthy or don't deserve it, but to continue to fight through. It requires action. It requires sacrifice. And then he finishes with this part where he says, in truth. See, because here's a reality, I think, when we're talking about this. Even though love requires actions or sacrifice, not all sacrifice is in love, is it? That there can be manipulation and self-serving in sacrifice. And I'm giving up something so that I gain recognition. Can you say politics? Anyways, we'll talk about a different story. But that's what it is, right? We give up something so that we gain recognition, so that we get our name or our purpose lifted up, so that we, we are doing things so that we gain something out of it. You see, that, that's, that's not love. That's not in truth. That's in manipulation. And so I wrote these words down because when I read this, it's with actions and in truth. What are we saying with in truth? Love authentically love in reality, love for real. 
Not something that boosts you forward, not a sacrifice you're making so that you can gain from it, but a real love, a real sacrifice where Jesus gave up his life for us. And what does he gain from that? I mean, think about it. What does he gain from that? A sinful human race? That is real love. And I would challenge us, church, to demonstrate or display that love in our lives, where we are sacrificing, where we are giving up, not because we gain from it, but because it's authentic and real. And I love you. And it might not be a feeling, it's a choice. I'm going to love you today. And I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm just giving it up because I care about you. I think that's the great love that Jesus demonstrated in this scripture. And it's the love that we need to carry in our hearts as well. Not a love that we just talk about, but it's one that we act on and it's one that's for real, that it's authentic and that it's in truth. So the last scripture I have, and I want to close with this, 1 Peter 4, verse 8. James, will you throw that up there for me? I guess I'm going to have to flip to it. 1 Peter 4, which is just right next door. 8 says this, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, he's challenging his, his church, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Church, let's take this challenge. Let's, let's look at the example that Jesus gave us, knowing what love is, that he died for us, that he demonstrated while we were unworthy that he gave up his life. And let's live that example out. Let's, let's sacrifice, not, not to gain something, but real sacrifice for the sake of others so that we can demonstrate God's love through our actions, because love, or, love covers a multitude of sins. Father, we're thankful for your word and your truth. Lord, help us to recognize and see it and continue to move forward with it. Help us to be a loving church following your example. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. John three sixteen for me, please. Good teaching this morning, amen, church? challenging times um, to love others. Could you put that out there, James, for me? There we go. Not, not first James, let's do first, our first John, sorry, not first James, first John 3.16. Says this is, this is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. This is how we know. And I gotta ask you this question today, church. Do you know the love of Jesus? Or have you just heard about the love of Jesus? There's a big difference between knowing and hearing, right? I, I think of, there's a story in the book of Acts where this Ethiopian eunuch, where actually before this, Peter was told by God to go to this place. And as he was on the road to this place, he's walking by this carriage and this Ethiopian eunuch is sitting there reading the scriptures in Isaiah, talking about this Jesus. He has no idea who he's reading about. And as Peter stops, he says, do you know and he says, I don't, I don't know. Can you tell me who this is about? 
And Peter's like, I can tell you who this is about because I know this Jesus. He's changed my life. And I have, to, I have to ask you, have you maybe come to church and you've heard about this Jesus and you've heard about him and you've heard about how good he is, but I have to ask you, do you know how good he is? Because the people who know how good he is, you know, as it says, Jesus laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If we know, if we know about this love, if we've experienced this love, this should come naturally to us. It should just be part of who we are. As we, as we see the life of Jesus and the way he lived his life, we're going to live that way as well. So we see lay down his life, I'm laying down my life for my brothers and sisters. Maybe you're that Ethiopian eunuch today, and you're sitting there and you've heard about the love of Jesus and I want to give you the opportunity to experience the love of Jesus today. It takes a simple thing of in Romans we're told, Romans 10 we're told to believe with our hearts and to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and when we do that we get to know the love of Jesus Christ and we are saved from our sins. So I want to give you that opportunity today. Let's bow our heads. If you're in the room saying you've never given your life to Jesus and, and you've heard about the love of God, you've heard John 3, 16, you've, you've heard all these other scriptures of, of about how much God loves me, but you've never experienced the love of God. And today you say, I want to surrender, Sean, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. If you've never done it and you'd like to give your life to Jesus, would you just raise your hand? I would love to pray with you this morning. see any hands there. Maybe you're in the room and you've made the decision to follow Jesus at one time, but you stepped away. You, you, life just got crazy out of hand and you just maybe lost your step. And you say, Sean, I would like to rededicate my life to Jesus today. Resurrender my life to him. Could you raise your hand? I would like to pray with you as well. I don't see any hands. Let's stand, church. Can we all just say this prayer together? I, I want to say this prayer, repeat this prayer. And I just, I know that I, I didn't see any hands, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a hand that was raised there. And what I would like to do is I'd just like to give everybody the opportunity today. Let's just say this prayer together. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. Say, Father, I thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. Forgive me. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Help me to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we, we were really thankful that you were here today. We hope that today you got to know a little bit better the love of Jesus Christ, the love that he has for you. We encourage you with this. I want to encourage you with this before you go. This week, Think of one person that you want to pray for, that you want to bring with you next week to come to church to also have the opportunity to get to know and experience the love of God. We encourage you to go do that. Also, don't forget tonight, we have the United Service at 5 o'clock. Bring something with you for the potluck dinner afterwards. It's going to be a great time. Turn around and greet somebody. Tell them you're glad to see them today. Have a great Sunday. If I ever took a loss, I learned a lesson. I won't ever think I'm better than the next. I've been down before to come up by